the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Beautifully read, thank you. So we're kicking off this new series. Um, what's it called? Thriving on your front line, I forgot what it was called. That's worrying, isn't it? Thriving on your front line. I'm hoping over the next three or four weeks you're gonna feel really encouraged in your workplace and you'll feel energized and affirmed and um, actually really, really um, encouraged in that place. And actually, I want to say, if you're sitting there thinking, well, actually, I don't have a job at the moment. I, I don't have a full-time job or a part-time job. In the Bible, we're going to uh, take the biblical definition of work, which is a holistic view of your life, uh, which actually work in a biblical understanding, a Hebrew sort of understanding, is everything you do uh, that you don't do for uh, rest and relaxation is this idea. And so actually, uh, work involves all sorts of things. It might involve uh, work in the office. It could involve um, uh, actually, look, basically, um, what I want to do tonight, just from this reading from Colossians, is really think, uh, how can we thrive in that place of our area of time, of our focus, our area of influence? How can we really thrive there? And uh, really, what I want to do is just have a big picture view of some of these verses from uh, Colossians. I don't know whether you know uh, much about the book. There, it's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he basically has set up a church that seems to be, he has two front lines. He's a tent maker and also a church planter. He sets up a number of churches. You know his story. He's in uh, Ephesus. He sets up a church uh, there and uh, he's there for about three years. He's speaking about Jesus and basically someone comes to faith called Epaphras, funny name, Epaphras. Epaphras then goes off and plants a church himself uh, in Colossae, which is about 200 kilometers away. And the church sort of starts, it's very, very exciting. And uh, he sets this thing up, he's really excited. Uh, and then he starts to get a bit freaked out because some of the people in the church start to have, um, you know, uh, slightly skewed understandings of who God is 
and uh, their thinking isn't straight, and they're, they're actually drifting, Epaphras thinks, into wrong belief and possibly even heresy. So I don't know what you would do, but Epaphras basically heads to Rome, he finds Paul and says, look, Paul, you know, you sent me out, came to faith, set up the church, it's going pretty well, but actually there's, there's all this stuff going on. What shall we do? What can I do? And Paul says, I'm going to write a letter to this church, which he does in about AD 60. And the first thing, I've got three things tonight I want to talk about. The first thing is, on your front line, if you're going to really, really thrive, wherever that is, you need to know that God is with you. Wherever it is, parenting, um, children, children with autism, mainstream children, however you want to describe it, work, business, accountancy, carpentry, uh, voluntary work, uh, studying for a degree, whatever it is, uh, God is with you. And he's with you on your front line. And uh, I say that because actually what happened uh, in uh, the, 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 the Colossian church was there was a, they were falling into this um, heresy that actually Jesus was less of a person uh, and less supreme than he actually is. And the problem with that, when you do that, you start thinking he's there, but he's not there. Uh, and he's not everywhere. And so, uh, I don't know, I've, I've had a range of jobs. I've had a range of front lines in my life. I've been uh, a roofer with some Irish guys. That was a slightly dangerous job, but it was a good laugh. Um, I've been a chambermaid. I've worked in burger bars. Uh, I was, uh, worked in the Wimpy, and uh, I was the only one small enough to fit into the children's costume uh, uniform for the parties. I've been a lawyer. I've been a church uh, pastor, however you want to describe it. One of the challenges is knowing that God is with you in these uh, places. And Paul writes to this church and he makes the point that, look, Christ is everywhere because he's over everything. And so he writes this in verse 15 uh, to 20. I'm not going to look at this in a real detail, but I just want to read it to you. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in absolutely everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace with his blood shed on the cross. So wherever you are on your front line, uh, God is with you. And what they were doing in the uh, Colossian church, they were kind of diminishing the influence and supremacy of Jesus. So Paul says, don't, don't, don't uh, shrink Jesus in your life. Actually, he's supreme. He's over all things. And he says all things, that phrase, all things, uh, seven times in six verses because he wants them to get, you cannot squash uh, who, who Jesus is and what he's done. And uh, this is a tendency of us in the church. If you look at church history, we tend to think uh, that we squash him and we think God is somewhere but not otherwhere, in other places. And we separate the material from the spiritual. And we think God is really into church services and he's into life groups and he's into us praying and our Bible study, but he's not interested in where we are on our front line or that's less important, or, uh, you know, my team is Arsenal, 
Arsenal beat Man U this afternoon to, oh God, that's not spiritual, that's vulgar, don't talk about that. Because uh, we separate these two things. But Paul says that God is over all things. He's over all, all things. And uh, you need to know that Jesus is with you uh, on your front line. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like when you're checking email on a Monday morning, do you ever think, oh, what am I doing? Or where's God? Or what's going on? Or you've got those awkward meetings or those essays to write. Uh, we need to hold on to the fact that Jesus is with us. And actually, G.K. Chesterton, uh, he was a sort of lay theologian, writer, philosopher. Uh, he said this, he said, you say grace before meals. I say grace before I get up in the morning, before I play football, before I go out with my mates, before I read a book, before I enjoy my life, go to the opera, la, 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 la. And he's trying to say, look, God is over the whole thing. God is over the whole thing. He's supreme. And we mustn't shrink Jesus and, and think he's not somewhere else. And actually, we do this in the church. You know, we, we, we often separate these things, separate the two. But actually, Jesus is over the whole thing. This idea of uh, the spiritual and um, material being separated was a Greek idea, which um, actually was alien to Hebrew thought. And Paul says, no, no, the whole thing. Jesus is, is Lord over the whole thing. So on your front line, you need to know that God is with you. He's created all things. He's over all things. He's with you. Uh, if you're going to thrive, because if you don't realize that, it's hard. You'll be doing stuff in your own strength. You'll be feeling what you do possibly doesn't really matter, and it's all a bit hard work. But actually, when you know that Jesus is there over all things, actually, it's very, very powerful. Secondly, what I want to suggest tonight, actually, is he's not just over all things. If you want to um, thrive, you need to know that Jesus isn't just with you, but he cares deeply about you and also your front line, what's going on. He cares really, really deeply about those things. When I um, came to faith, um, I remember speaking to someone, a, a church leader, they said, what do you do? I said, I'm a lawyer. They said, uh, oh, you sold your soul to the devil. And it was a sort of joke, but only a sort of half joke. And there was a sense of what I was doing on my front line. It's kind of, oh, it's not very good. And actually, um, God didn't really care about it and all that sort of stuff. And it's just not true. God is over all things. And he cares about us uh, on our front line. Uh, the problem is, when you separate the material and the uh, spiritual, you do look at your life and you just think, God is just interested into the, in the spiritual things, you know. He's like uh, a headmaster who's going to check your report. Do you ever feel guilty uh, because you don't pray enough? Do you ever feel guilty because you don't read the Bible enough? We, we have this weird uh, relationship with God. And as uh, we've heard tonight, it was great to hear those exhortations that actually God loves us that he doesn't ration, he's done everything for us. And Paul says this to the Christians uh, in Colossae. He says, you know, verses 21 and 22, you know, if you're ever any doubts about God caring about you, who you are, your life, what you do, uh, don't forget that once you're alienated from God, we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Holy in his sight. Do you feel holy? We often don't feel holy, but we are holy. Uh, 
Paul writes to all the Christians in the churches he set up, and he says, dear saints, we're holy, holy people. Without blemish, do you ever feel you're slightly, uh, you've got blemished, uh, and uh, you're not, um, you know, you're not, uh, God sort of sees you as, some, as somehow tainted or something. You know, I was looking in the mirror the other day. Have you noticed I've got these red things on my cheeks? Have you noticed my pink cheeks before? Thank you for, for lying and going, no, what? <laughs> but, you know, I feel blemished. But actually, Jesus looks at us on our front lines and is for us. He's rooting for us. And we're not blemished. And we're free from accusation. Uh, actually, he delights in what we're doing on our front lines. He loves what we're doing. And he doesn't accuse us. It's like the, only, the, the, the people we tend to accuse are ourselves. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And so we need to actually hold on to the fact that God isn't just over everything, but he also cares about us, and he also cares about our front lines. He's really interested in what you do. He's really wanting you to flourish on your front line. And, uh, you know, we often think God is just into, you know, um, spiritual things like, uh, you know, how we pray or whatever. Actually, he's, he's, he cares about you. He's into all areas of your life and what you're doing. You know, how you sleep. He cares about that. How you're relaxing, whether you're too stressed. He cares about that. Because he cares about you. He delights in you. He's for you, not against you. And if you're going to thrive on your front line, you, needn't, you don't just need that sense of actually uh, he's over everything. You need that sense of he's, he's with you uh, on your front line uh, as a student at school, uh, as an architect, uh, whatever you're doing as a parent, whatever you're doing, God cares about you. And uh, uh, when you know that, you can draw strength from him and thrive. The third thing, and this is what I really want to major on, is that Jesus uh, actually, on our front line, calls us to be creative and shape culture. He calls us to be creative and shape culture. And I want to just pause a little bit on this because this is really important that you, that you know the confidence God has in what you can pull off and what you can do. And you know what his heart is for you. Uh, he wants you to be creative, bold, and shape uh, culture. And um, I don't know whether you feel creative or not. I, I don't feel especially creative. But as a human being, you're very creative. I remember actually when I was, my sort of uh, lack of creativity came in when I was about 12 and I decided to make my twin sister Laura a pot and uh, I thought what I'll do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make an orange, ceramic orange that explodes explodes into a cocktail glass and I'll fire it and I'm just going to give it to her for her birthday, we shared the same birthday obviously. And so I made this thing, and uh, I got it out. I fired it all. It was, didn't quite sort of work that well. But I gave it to her, and she sort of said, oh, thank you very, very much. And um, six months later, I found it buried in the garden because she didn't. She wanted She thought it was so bad. But, you know, you are, you are very, very creative, and God wants you to shape 
the culture on your front line. Wherever you are, God wants you to shape uh, the culture. And you see this, verse 23, we're continued in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. What are we meant to be doing in our lives? What are we meant to be doing on the front line? We've talked a lot about in the church, haven't we, about um, the great commandment to love God, the great commission to actually go into the world and make disciples. And God wants us to shape our environments and change our environments. And this is really, really uh, important that we understand this and uh, to actually uh, really have influence where we are. And uh, as a church, again, we've lost sight of this. If you see this slide, you know, what we've done in the church is, you know, there's the church in the middle and they're all sort of things you might be involved in. These aren't exhaustive, but there's, there's your family. You might be working in the arts. You might be in media. You might be in business. You might be in education. You might work for the government, uh, a non-profit or some sort of entertainment industry. And actually, we, um, actually in the church, you see in this next slide, we pull people in. If you flick onto the next slide, some arrows should appear. No? Have the arrows gone? They're secret arrows. Who thinks the arrows are going to come? No? Should we forget that? Let's just forget that. So look, we're called, let's forget that side, we're called to shape uh, culture and actually we're, we often in the church talk about coming to us, coming to us, but actually we need to be equipped and sent out into all these areas to shape and influence our environments and our cultures. Historically, the church has always had a, an odd relationship with the world or with culture however you want to describe it. And often in the church we've uh, criticized uh, the culture, all oh, the world's this, the world's terrible. And I don't know, when I came to faith, for example, I, I, I was advised to get rid of all my non-Christian music, and I did, all the CDs in the bin, uh, old videos in the bin, I got rid of some clothes because they weren't sort of appropriate, got rid of them. And, um, you know, we often can have this uneasy um, re uh, relationship with culture. Or we don't just criticize it, sometimes we copy it, don't we? And as Christians, we don't look any different to the culture or the world. But actually, we're, we're called to shape it and change it, and very, very powerfully by God, change the environments uh, on our front line. So how do you actually do that? How do you um, actually do that and do that um, effectively? I want to suggest, actually, as you think about your front line, you ask yourself four questions. These are basic questions that can enable you to actually um, have uh, influence in your areas, wherever they may be. In your family, I often ask this question, or in your workplace, or in your voluntary service, or on campus, or at school, here, here's a good question to ask, first of all. What's missing here? What is missing? in this environment, what's actually missing? And then what you need to do is you need to try and uh, create and catalyze what's missing. Do you ever look at your family and think, oh, we need this, that's not there. 
So then you create it. Or uh, I had a friend, uh, it's the small things you can do. I'd had a friend who um, basically, he's a commuter going up to London, sitting on the train at seven o'clock in the morning. He just notices someone who sits in the same seat next to him every day looking a bit miserable. So uh, anyway, he doesn't know what to do. He, so he just starts a conversation with this guy. And it's a small thing. He thinks, this guy's missing something. We need to change this. He then takes a deck of cards in the next day on the train. And they start playing cards. Then someone else says, can I, um, can I play cards? Go, yeah, play cards. They're all playing cards. Someone else says, can I play cards? Now the whole carriage now plays cards and they become family. Rather than sitting there in the morning. You know, it's night on the train. <laughs> and it's remarkable. He's changed the culture, you see. It's a small thing. Made a massive difference. And you've got to remember that uh, big doors swing on little hinges. So he just got a conversation going, started playing games. They now actually look out for one another. Their children play together. Uh, they have Christmas events. Uh, they have parties on the train. Uh, some of them have come to faith. And, um, you know, they're just friends. Now, that's the kingdom of God coming. That's a change in culture. Do you understand what I'm talking about, this, this call? So ask yourself, you know, what's missing on my front line? What am I going to do here? Uh, what can I actually, what can I actually, what difference can I make? I've been doing a bit of stuff with the police, as you know. I go in there a bit. I was thinking, I was just struck by how amazing uh, the police are and how little encouragement they get. I don't know, I, that's my perspective. So I've just started encouraging them all in a, in a genuine way. And so go out with them and say, gosh, that was amazing what you did there, the way you reacted to that person. And you see people changing, getting taller and really responding to uh, just these small things, but the culture is changing. Do you, do you know what I mean? Is this making sense? So let me encourage you on your front line. If you're going to change culture, ask yourself, what is missing? What is missing? And then you need to create and catalyze. What are you going to, what are you going to do? And just small things make a massive difference. If, it's, it's funny, isn't it, in our workplaces? If you, if you got, there's always one in a workplace, one really positive, really bubbly person who changes the whole, whole atmosphere. It's, it's easily done. We can do it. But it's just small things that can change culture. Okay, second, are you ready for question two? Are you excited about question two or don't you really care? Have you lost the will to live? <laughs> Slightly. You're very excited. Thank you, Janie. Um, in your front line, ask what's confusing. What's confusing here? And then what you need to do is bring clarity and compel people. What's confusing in your, uh, in your front line, your sphere of influence? You know, many years ago, I was working as a lawyer, and um, we were in this office. There was quite a tight crew of us. And girl, we were working with Susie. She was young. She just got engaged a few weeks later, uh, actually. Um, she discovered she had cancer. And it just was very, very, uh, it was just a downer for everyone. It was really, really uh, one of those difficult things. It was quite confusing for everyone. I found myself just uh, talking into that. And I ended up praying uh, with Susie. We ended up praying. God did this sort of mini revival. Lots of people came to faith in our little office. And uh, yet it started with people really feeling confused and upset that this popular girl uh, was getting sick. And so you can actually bring clarity, speak hope, and actually change things. 
Do you have anything confusing going on in your spheres of influence? Yeah? So you need to try and speak into that. It's an opportunity to change the culture. Are you ready for question three? Or should we just go home? I can't hear it. Are you ready for question three? Pardon? It's behind you. What's wrong? What's wrong? Um, in, in, on your front lines, what's actually wrong? And you need to, uh, in that sense, confront and seek to change things. And, um, you know, nowhere's perfect, is it? But you can actually, um, where there is stuff that's wrong, you can make changes. I don't mean, like, condemn that's wrong. I mean, you know, if there's... If there's I, I spoke to... Um, uh, a, a police chaplain a few weeks ago, I said, look, I'm new to all this. What do you recommend? You've been doing this for 10 years. She said, you know what's made all the difference? I said, what? She said, I do the washing up when I go in. And it's changed the thing. There's all these cups everywhere. She just goes in, she washes up. And uh, it could be, I was on a course uh, recently and um, you know, it was funny, it wasn't funny. There was an interaction with a member on the course that I thought was quite inappropriate. I thought, shall I say something, shan't I, shall I, shan't I? So I just quietly said to someone, Look, I felt a bit, that was a bit inappropriate or I felt uncomfortable with that. And um, what was fascinating was uh, lots of people on the course felt the same. It emerged, actually, we didn't like that. And we were able to talk about it and sort it out and it's fine, we all moved on. Do you know what I mean? So you can actually um, ch- challenge what's wrong. And um, you can have huge influence if you do that with integrity and humility and respect. It's amazing the impact you can make and the change you can bring uh, to the culture. So what was the first one? What is? <laughs> what was the second one? <laughs> What was the third one? Are you ready for the fourth one? What is good? What is good in your front line? Because you need to celebrate that and champion that and uh, actually really rejoice in that. And you know, uh, you can actually really, really make a difference by championing championing the good stuff and really, um, you know, encouraging and focusing on the good stuff too. So um, I hope that's uh, been interesting. I hope that's been uh, useful. And uh, I do want to encourage you to, as you think about this, to think small. Just to think small in this. It's amazing how little things can really uh, change uh, situations. Just tiny things that you can do. You know, you can change someone's day. You can, you can change the culture of a place very, very easily by doing a few things. And you have a massive difference. Often we think, oh, uh, who am I? Often we think, oh, this is too hard. I can't be bothered. It's someone else's job. They should be doing that. They're not doing Well, why not be proactive and change things? I just want to end with a story. A friend of mine uh, who's a Salvation Army officer, she basically was concerned. She read an article about um, Cadbury's chocolate, sourcing chocolate of people who hadn't been paid properly and who weren't treated very well. 
And I love Cadbury's chocolate, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not being funny about Cadbury's. And if you work there, I'm really sorry. Um, but anyway, um, so she thinks, well, what should I do? So she thinks, I'm going to actually do something. I'm going to write a letter. She wrote to the company and said, look, I've just heard this, a bit concerned about this. Is there anything you, know, you can change, or could I come and meet you? She didn't get a response. She wrote another letter. She wrote an email. And she thought, OK, I, I, I'm a Salvation Army officer. What can I do? She thought, I know, I've got a band. I've got a, that's, about all, that's what we got. I've got a band. So she, she basically wrote to the uh, person again and said, look, I, I've, I've, writ I've written to you a few times very politely. And actually, you haven't replied. That's fine. But I just want you to know, next Wednesday, uh, I've got a Salvation Army band. And we're all going to dress up um, as Cadbury's chocolates. And we're going to just march up and down outside your offices, and we're going to play the funeral. All in their 70s, these sort of trombonists, and would you believe it? She got a letter back, got a meeting. And you know, Cabra's globally have changed their policy. They did it about four years ago now. You can't do anything. You can't make any difference. Who am I? It's an absolute lie. If you do some really small things, you can radically change people's lives, environments uh, for good. And this is bringing the kingdom. This is bringing uh, God's heart to people, God's uh, perspective on life, just tiny, tiny things, tiny, tiny things you could do. You know why I became a Christian? I'm working as a lawyer 25 years ago. I've just bought a new pair of black shoes that I've still got, yes. And uh, basically, I'm walking, and I'm living with this Christian couple. It's a long story. And uh, I, I've got blisters. You know when black shoes, you get blisters, don't you? <laughs> New shoes. And so I go home, and this girl, Lucinda, says, how are you, how are you Mike? I said, oh, I've just, my sh just got these really um, bad blisters on my feet. And uh, she'd invited me to church many times with her husband. I'm like, not really interested. And then uh, the mor that morning, the next morning, I went downstairs to have breakfast, a few Weetabix, and uh, there was a note with a new thing of plasters. Hey, Mike, hope these help your feet. Wow. I remember sitting there, wow. So she went out last night, about 10 o'clock, to buy some plasters for me. Became a Christian. <laughs> I wish she hadn't. <laughs> no, I <laughs> But it's weird, isn't it? Can you buy someone plasters? You know, we always, oh, I don't know enough of the Bible. I can't speak to them. Or, oh, I'm a shy. You can just do some very small, practical things because big doors swing on little hinges. And why not? Can I challenge you this week to do some stuff? And we'll hear about it next Sunday. Small things, small things make a massive difference. So I think we should stop. Next week, I'm going to think about vocation.
how it's very important if you're going to thrive on your front line that you know that you're in the God place and you see the sacred in what you're doing and the significance of what you're doing. My experience is too many people don't feel that and you need to really have a vision for what you're about, what you're doing with your life and I'll talk a bit more about that next week. So um, just as we close, turn to the person next to you. What's the one little thing you can do this week as you think about your front lines, wherever that is? What's the one practical thing you could do this week? Tell the person next to you.